thank you for having me here. I'm, I'm going to build on what Rod has just said. Um, and what I'm going to say um, before I ask the question is going to be no surprise to Jamie and Emily. Um, is, you know, the, these, these commissioned reports, we have some issues with this. I mean, when, you know, the last one that was commissioned by Dr. Blake Brown, you know, talked about gun control and history of gun control. And it was well done. Unfortunately, uh, Mr. Brown did not um, talk about or admitted to say that, uh, you know, the gun controls over history in, uh, in Canada uh, just weren't effective. Um, and now we have, again, another commission report um, that doesn't seem to be germane to the Canadian experience and this tragedy here before us. And uh, so I'm just questioning kind of where that is coming from and why it's actually in this process when we're trying to find out the truth about what actually happened in the Canadian context. Anyway, I'm, I'm going on here. I also want to mention that um, in this commission, we, we dedicated ourselves to try to reveal the truth and try to help the commissioners to um, you know, help understand what was going on to come up with a good recommendation in the end. Uh, I am not a researcher, um, and we, once again, we're faced with some research here. I tried to get in some research papers, or actually get some researchers actually to speak into this directly. Uh, they were pretty much all rejected. I had uh, Dr. Gary Mauser. Uh, he was deemed to be dated. Uh, Dr. Kalen Langman, who is the foremost expert in Canada with the most up-to-date information. He was deemed to be not germane to the situation. Uh, then I had uh, uh, John Lott, who, who's written on this a lot as well, too. And he was deemed to be too American. I don't, I don't know what that means. But anyway, I've, I have submitted some uh, exhibits into the process. Hopefully, the commissioners can take a look at that. And all those, all those um, exhibits um, refute what, uh, what Joel has basically said in his conclusions. I'm going to summarize uh, Dr. Kleck's, Gary Kleck's uh, um, uh, report on this. Um, in the conclusion, he says that the NFA did not reduce the prevalence of gun ownership in Australia, and Joel's already admitted that. The NFA only temporarily reduced the total number of guns in civilian hands, and Joel, Joel has actually confirmed that. Um, the NFA did not reduce Australia's homicide rate. Joel has confirmed that. Uh, the NFA did not reduce Australia's suicide rate, and Joel confirmed that at the end. The NFA appears to have increased the rate of fatal gun accidents, which Joel omitted to say. And there is no strong evidence that the NFA reduced mass shootings in Australia. So, you know, I guess my question is going to be here is that there seems to be some kind of, and, this, and Rod alluded to this, there seems to, be, seems to be some kind of a an effort here to achieve some kind of preconceived message. And it seems to be to validate the existence of gun control and to double down on that and actually, uh, you know, bring in stronger ones, more gun bans and everything else. And we see from contrary studies to the Elpers report that they are not effective. So I guess my question here is, um, what, what, why was Joel invited here and why was this commission actually commissioned in the first place? Was it, was it to validate Justin Trudeau's gun, uh, gun control edicts that were, I guess, shamelessly exploiting the situation to bring in his own ideological uh, gun controls? I, I leave the question with Joel to answer that or not. Uh, 
Thank you, Mr. Zach. I'll I'll answer the bits that I can answer. Um, uh, I can't answer the um, final point that you raised. That's again not for me to answer. Um, the uh, we are familiar with the work of of Fleck and Mauser uh, and a number of others. Um, there's been a lot of, as you refer to, back and forth uh, over many years. Uh, a lot of that, to my mind, is settled. We've we've had that back and forth. There's been a number of uh, independent reports uh, by by the Rand Foundation, by economics professors, by public health academics uh, uh, into this. Um, we are familiar with the with the work. It doesn't change our conclusions and looking at the trend data, a lot of the work by Kleck and others um, was considerably earlier, um, and we're looking at a much longer term trend, including, as you will have seen, data to, to 2019, 2020, uh, in some cases. Um, the, the, the NFA, uh, post the NFA, I think if anyone had, had asked policymakers in 1996, what would success look like? And if someone said 18 years of no mass casualty uh, events in Australia after that, that represents a reduction in uh, mass casualty events to go from one a year to zero for 18 years uh, does represent uh, a reduction. Um, suicides remain a problem. I did not say that they have not been reduced uh, in that time. They have been reduced, as my data from New South Wales showed and my data from uh, Australia showed. Uh, they have reduced, um, and the same with, um, in particular, uh, accidents uh, and also uh, assaults. Um, but they did not eliminate uh, to zero. And I actually think it's an important part of the equation that the number of firearms in Australia is, is still uh, high. Uh, because it 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 has not um, the NFA has not led to the banning of guns or uh, lawful owners using them lawfully, um, and so people still have the privilege uh, of owning firearms, and yet th there is greater focus on public safety. And ultimately, I think that's an outcome we would all share uh, as as something that we are uh, interested uh, in seeing. So that's that's my response to those uh, elements. Thanks, Alan. Uh, I'm going to kind of build on what uh, Rod was saying about these questions. So um, it's kind of related to even the um, the commissioning of those reports that I mentioned before. Um, once again, the I, I kind of question the questions. You know, the questions are not designed and kind of germane to the situation here, but um, seem to be taking us down a road of validating the failed gun control regime. So I'm going to start with the first question. Um, you know, how, how should we, how should access to firearms be regulated in Canada? Well, you know, guns are inanimate objects and uh, they're not inherently dangerous. Um, firearms do not change the morals and principles of the operator. And certainly our gun laws do not change homicides rates. And I've already submitted some articles about that. So if I was going to suggest anything, um, uh, there is a, a, a gaping gap in our current regime, and that is about uh, court-ordered firearms prohibition system. We have a system now that is uh, 
taking career armed criminals off the street and they go through a revolving door and they're released on their own recognizance uh, just to go back to their craft and get uh, illegal guns again and uh, become a potential threat to society once once again. So I think that's something that needs to be plugged. Uh, I personally have already, I've tried to talk to public safety about this. Uh, They seem to be ignoring the situation, but that is certainly a recommendation that I think the commission should take forward and um you know that's that's something that needs to be needs, needs to be redressed so like in short the the this whole as dr rod had said the uh, the firearms control system in in canada is irrelevant in this situation because it had no effect on on uh, dissuading this particular perpetrator from doing what he did so like rod said this is this is a another conversation and this question um is not really getting at the heart of the matter. Now, the second question, um, how laws about firearms possession, importation, transfer, and firearms can be effectively enforced? Well, you know, the the short answer is you can't. I mean, we live along the longest undefended border in the world, sitting atop of the U.S., which is the greatest small arms, light weapons manufacturer in the world. So we tried prohibition in the past. I'm talking about the 30s when we when the U.S. banned liquor sales, you know, across the board, and that backfired because of that porous border, that there, there's just no way that you can defend that. And of course, criminals took advantage of that, and the black market thrived. And the same thing is already happening here, and we're seeing that in the urban centers, where um, in Toronto, for instance, where you know, eighty over eighty percent of the uh, the handguns that are coming in are illegal, and uh, Public safety doesn't even know how many guns are coming in. They, they pretend to, to tell us that uh, they're keeping us safe by taking a, you know, a, a small portion of those guns off some people that are coming across the border, but they have no idea how much is coming across those non-border crossings. So, and what's, uh, let's get to the next question. Um, do you have an additional suggestions for the regulation and enforcement regulations? Well, the uh, I just want to say this, that the, the Firearms Act basically has failed. And, uh, you know, the, the, this whole access to, uh, to, to regulations would have no bearing on the, this particular case here. That's all I'm going to say on that. So what would success look like in terms of... Uh, you know, on some of the issues I've raised, well, you know, we've seen that gun control did not stop this particular perpetrator. And and it doesn't stop others that are determined to do this. Uh, We've also seen a failure of the police. You know, as much as they herald the police as being our protectors, they're not even legally responsible to protect us from this kind of thing. And uh, the commission has already heard strong evidence that they really dropped the ball here in terms of uh, um, stopping the shooting spree. They could have done it sooner. Uh, so relying on the police in this kind of circumstance, uh, you know, can get you killed. Now, the uh, and also the uh, I also talked about the uh, the criminal code here. Um, there's a lot of amendments that have gone to the criminal code over the last 30 years. And uh, it's focused on the law abiding, responsible firearms owners owners out there. It's an abuse of the criminal code. It was the criminal code is meant to protect, you know, basic human rights, not to 
um, usher in bureaucratic edicts, you know, into this kind of, uh, you know, into criminal law without legislative review. So that's something else that I think that should be um, reviewed. So what would be my final recommendation? Well, we see that our gun control is lacking in terms of public safety, despite what the current uh, liberal regime is, is heralding as more gun control equals public safety. It does not. And uh, actually, they've done um, they've done more restrictive uh, regulations. They've banned guns and everything else. And on their watch, uh, the urban crime is actually escalated. So there, there is no correlation between what they're saying and what is actually happening in the streets. So as a as a remedy, given that the police cannot really protect you, and they can't be omnipresent. I don't think we actually want that anyway. And our gun control regime does not dissuade uh, determined miscreants from causing harm with or you know, causing harm with uh, with firearms, legal or otherwise. I think it's incumbent on the the people that are actually going to be affected. So the first responder in any attack is going to be the victim. So we have to allow the victim to be able to defend themselves as a God-given right of self-defense. And sadly, in Canada, and as we heard in Australia, using a gun for or having a gun for self-defense is unacceptable. And I, I think that's quite ludicrous. I mean, there was a situation in this in this this whole tragedy where uh, the murderer came in, came up with the lane of uh, one of the people, I forget what his name was, and uh, he's knocking on the door and, uh, you know, the, the person in the residence came down with the shotgun, racked the, racked the shotgun and the perpetrator fled. Now, we don't know exactly what the details are there, but the implications are that, you know, the, the murderer was deterred from going any further because he feared for his life. That's an effective deterrent. Uh, it's the inconvenient truth, like it or not, but that's exactly what it is. So what I suggest is that we should be liberalizing our current ATC3 permitting system. For those who don't know what that is, that's um, where you give uh, or grant uh, the, uh, you know, the public out there the right to carry defensive firearms in public. So right now it is a may issue, which is really a no issue because it's been nullified over time. So I'm suggesting that we should make that into a shall issue. So people that are, you know, who are in fear of their life, like these people were in this particular region, they knew of this person, they knew that he was a, uh, a powder keg ready to go off. They should have the tools in hand to be able to defend themselves when they're confronted with some mortal danger. So I just want to close by saying that uh, law-abiding gun owners and businesses are not, they're, they're not to blame for the acts of remorseless criminals. And the NFA will oppose any attempt to shift the blame onto our members and to the lawful industries that support them. No compromise.